Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM Louisville. Also streaming live at forwardradio.org. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 340. Today's topic is Dear Democrats, an open letter to my Democratic friends who are climate activists. So here's where this topic came from. This morning, in my email inbox, I encountered a message. The message is something you hear from Democrats with some regularity. You have to vote for us because we are the only ones who care about climate. This episode is my letter, written letter, about a thousand words. Here's how it goes. Dear Democrats, The attached email from a Sierra Club discussion group made the following bold declaration. Those of us who want to stay alive should vote for Democrats. Those who are willing to die from severe heat wave like the one in Europe at this very moment by drowning in a flood from severe trauma in a hurricane or tornado or or from smoke inhalation in a wildfire can vote Republican. That's the end of the quote. The message seems to be that anyone with any sense should be strongly motivated to vote Democrat, and that if Democrats win this fall, they will continue to advocate for sensible climate policies. But people are busy. Not everyone wakes up thinking about climate change. Potential voters have jobs children, parents, health care issues, and financial problems, and they want to take in the game on a weekend and enjoy life along the way. But if you offer them something they will make that will make a difference in their lives, they will take time and cast a vote for your preferred candidate. So that's the message in my letter to my Democratic friends, you have to give people something to vote for. And there is abundant opportunity to give people something to vote for. There is abundant opportunity to give people something like Medicare for All, which is a hugely popular policy. And if you offer people something that's popular, then the majority of people will be voting for you, and that's how you win elections. People don't know about this because, for one thing, the media never talks about it because the media is not here to help you. The media is not here to give you helpful information. It's not a public service. Most media outlets are owned by business owners who have to make a profit. But here's something the media will never tell you. If you want to win elections, offer people something that will make their difficult lives a little easier. Offer them health care like every other rich country. So the idea here is that every other country in the world, especially the countries that are big and powerful and rich, they give health care to their citizens. It is not thought that it's a good thing for health care to be a profit center. Most Americans agree with this. Health insurance is tricky. It's expensive. We have to buy our health care insurance from companies that have had a strong influence 
on public policy. So it turns out being a raw deal for the healthcare consumer. We pay more for health care than any other country in the world. And you would, what do we get for our money? Our health care outcomes are not all that great. So most people are in favor of Medicare for all. 90% of Democrats are in favor of Medicare for all. Two-thirds of the general population. Just about half of Republicans are for Medicare for all. Yet you can't vote for it at the voting booth and it's not on the floor of Congress. So here's a golden opportunity for the party of the people to offer people something that's very popular and would help them win elections. By the same token, you could offer them a living wage. You could offer student death, debt relief. You could offer free community college. Something that will make people's lives easier. Here's another thing they could offer. Freedom from the prison industrial complex. We have the world's largest prison population. And 40% of this prison population never were never charged with harming another human being. In other words, we're talking about nonviolent drug crimes. According to Chris Hedges, who is a very reliable journalist and who himself teaches in a prison, 40% of the prison population was never charged with a violent crime. This is devastating to families and communities. So, my Democratic friends, you could offer relief to the families of people who are in prison for no legitimate public reason. You could start a campaign to save tens of thousands of dollars per year per prisoner by releasing people who never should have been in prison to begin with. You could do this. And if not this, then something. But you have to give people something to vote for. I live in the West End of Louisville. I have to ask, what has the Democratic Party done for my neighbors in the last 30 years? 30 years goes back to when Bill Clinton was elected. So what has the Democratic Party done for my neighbors in this minority neighborhood in the last 30 years? There ought to be a good answer to that. The following are some of the biggest quote-unquote accomplishments of the Clinton administration. This is important because if you look at what the Bill Clinton administration did, you get a clue as to what the Hillary Clinton administration would probably have done. And that's fair because for the most part she never distanced herself from any of her husband's worst policies. In fact, she was behind many of Bill Clinton's worst policies. But the Clinton administration passed NAFTA, it passed the crime bill, it passed welfare reform, the crime bill tripled, or the, the crime bill caused a dramatic increase in the prison population, th thus mass incarceration. We have civil asset forfeiture where people can lose their assets just because they're accused of a drug-related crime, irrespective of whether that crime is proved in court. We have draconian sentences for nonviolent crimes. 
and there's a racial component to the difference between penalties for crack cocaine versus the penalties for powder cocaine, all thanks to the crime bill, thanks to Bill Clinton and Joe Biden. But according to Bill Clinton's own best supporters, this according to Listen Liberal by Thomas Frank, Thomas Frank says, according to Bill Clinton's best supporters, his biggest accomplishments were these things, you know, NAFTA, the crime bill, welfare reform, the Communications Act of 1996, all of which you would expect from a Republican. So why should people in my neighborhood, why should working class people vote Democrat if you look at their record? And yet you have some operative at the Sierra Club saying, if you want to stay alive, you got to vote Democrat. Well, that's unconvincing to a great many people. Mainly it's unconvincing to the people who don't want to vote Republican either. They do want to stay at home or, or not leave work to vote on a Tuesday. But they would do so if you would give them something tangible and then follow through on your promises. The failure of the party to offer things that are relevant into, in the lives of working people is the reason Hillary Clinton lost to a baboon, a game show host, a political novice. He had never run for political office in his life. And he, but he defeated the Clinton political machine. So the question is why? I, I um, submit to you that a big part of it is that Hillary Clinton offered people nothing and then the voters in swing states remembered what NAFTA had done to their jobs. The Rust Belt, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio. So you can blame it on her personality if you want or you can blame it on sexists and racists. You can say, you know, Americans are just, they're sexist and they're racist, and that's why she lost. But the fact remains that she offered people precisely nothing. She didn't even pretend to offer people anything. So what's the solution to all this? I say, Democrats, campaign on supermajority issues. So Republicans are supposedly the party of the rich. And you can understand, if that's true, to the extent that that's true, you can understand why the party of the rich doesn't want to give average people very much. But then is there a party for the rest? Who is going to represent the great majority of people? Historically, the Democrats have more, been more representative of the majority, but they have arguably have forfeited that because neither party represents the majority, but one of them could. You would think that one party or the other would campaign on these supermajority issues, especially the party that claims to represent the legitimate interests of the people, the party whose base has historically been the working class, the poor, minorities, women, and the environment. But alas, neither party will step up and claim these supermajority issues. When I talk about supermajority issues, I'm talking about Medicare for all, living wage, ending the wars, decriminalizing marijuana, getting money out of politics, 
going against the party establishment of either party. Anti-establishment candidates within either party tend to be popular with the electorate. But let's look a minute at what has been the fate of AOC. You know, AOC is supposed to be this big progressive. She's supposed to be this big leftist. But let's see what really happened. When campaigning, AOC promised to force a floor vote in Congress. In other words, not a committee vote, but a vote on the floor of Congress on the issue of Medicare for All. But once she was in office, she has actively sabotaged a floor vote on Medicare for All. She had the perfect opportunity at the beginning of 2020, actually the beginning, the beginning of 2021, she had the perfect opportunity to say, we in the squad are not going to vote for Pelosi for Speaker of the House unless she promises to bring Medicare for All to the floor for a vote. But that never happened, and AOC offered a long string of empty excuses. She has been absorbed into the party establishment, and she is known for her rhetoric. But where is the action? Where is the change? What difference does she make in the lives of Americans? Arguably, none. And this is the poster child of this supposedly progressive wing of the party. If she's not doing anything for you, nobody is. So why should people vote in overwhelming majorities for candidates that make no difference in their lives? Why? Why should they take time out of their busy schedule to vote for candidates who make no difference and are not even talking not even making promises, not even talking about the things people want. As I said before, Medicare for All is supported by two-thirds of Americans, nearly 50% of Republicans, and 90% of Democrats. And yet, the party that has the White House and both houses of Congress doesn't even talk about it, let alone fight for it. Now, these are issues that people understand. People understand Medicare for All. People understand a living wage. Not very many people understand the major issues involved in climate. So you're asking about them to care about something that they don't understand when you're not demonstrating that you care about things they do understand. And yet, when elections are lost, who gets the blame? When you lose an election, who do you blame? Do you blame the party elites that picked the candidates? Do you believe the do you uh, blame the media that had a big role in picking the candidates? Do you blame donors? Do you blame the politicians who refuse to do anything uh, to reform elections or get money out of politics? No, you don't blame these real people that have real power. You blame the voters because you say they're lazy or they're racist or they don't understand what's good for them. So who never gets blamed for lost elections? The party elites, including politicians, the donor class, and the media. Who never gets blamed for losing elections? The people with the real 
power, the people who could make a change if they wanted to, but they don't because the system is working just fine for them, thank you. I'm saying the Democrats never blame the powerful for when they lose elections. They always blame the voters who don't have any money and don't have any power. Why would you blame those who don't have any money or don't have any power? So whose side are you going to be on? Are you going to be an advocate for the people by punching up against the elites? By calling out the ones that stand in the way of real change? Or are you going to be on the side of the party elites who are the ultimate conservatives? If you want to be on the side of the party elites, then keep punching down at people. We punch down at people by suggesting in not so subtle rhetoric that they are lazy, they're racist, they're sexist, or they just don't understand what's good for them. But that's not how you win elections. You don't win elections by chastising voters. Remember Reagan Democrats? That's odd. Democrats voting for Reagan. But how else would he have won if he didn't have Democrats voting for him? Remember Clinton Republicans? That's odd. Republicans voting for Clinton. But how else was he going to win unless he had people in the other party voting for him? So if you want to win elections, you have to give people a reason to cross party lines. Or you could win elections by reaching out to unlikely voters. These are people that weren't going to vote for you. They weren't going to vote against you. They weren't going to vote. But they will get out and vote if you give them something to be motivated about. So here's a suggestion. Win elections first, and then you can do what you want with climate. This email from the Sierra Club that prompted this discussion says, Those who want to stay alive should vote for Democrats. Those who are willing to die from a severe heat wave, like the one in Europe at this very moment, by drowning in a flood, from severe trauma in a hurricane or tornado, or from smoke inhalation in a wildfire, wildfire, can vote Republican. In other words, we, the Democrats, are the ones who are really going to solve this climate situation, and Republicans are only going to make it worse. But what if most people don't care very much about climate change, don't think very much about climate change? How are you going to get them to the polls on an issue that they don't care very much about? The answer is that you don't. You get them to the polls on issues that they do care about. And why are you not doing this anyway? Why are you not giving people health care because it's the right thing to do? Why are you not releasing nonviolent prisoners from prison because it's the right thing to do. And if you do that, you'll win elections, then you can do what you want with climate policy. So try this. Take Republican Walmart workers. Why in the world would Walmart workers, those who are Republicans, vote for Democrats? Answer, give them something they care about. Try this. Take Republican Walmart workers, offer them health care and a living wage, and then watch them flock to the voting booth to vote Democrat. You want Republicans to vote Democrat? Give them something to vote for. 
So why don't we do this? Well, because the party elites, you know, the party elites are not the same as the party loyalists. Two different groups. The party elites are the ones that have the power and or the money. Usually both. They're not interested in the same things that Democratic Party loyalists are interested in. And they're not interested in the same things that apolitical people are interested in. In other words, the Democratic Party elites do not have your back. They're in the game of divide and conquer. They're in the game of working closely with Republicans over and against the great majority of people. But they've created a caricature. In your Democratic mind, they've created a caricature of what Republicans are really about, or what independents are about, or what apolitical people are really about. They've created the caricature that says people are like this when they don't vote Democrat or don't vote at all. They're, they're racist, they're sexist, they're ignorant, and they don't know what's good for them. Don't believe the caricature. Do not believe that caricature. For one thing, you need their votes. For another thing, you're not going to reach out to people whom you profoundly disrespect. So how do you reach out to them? Well, Ralph Nader wrote a book called The 17 Solutions, Bold Ideas for Our American Future. So he's identified 17 issues that are popular across party lines. These include fundamental tax reform, number one. Number two, make our communities more self-reliant. Number three, give science and technology back to the people. Number four, protect the family unit. Number five, get corporations off welfare. Number six, crack down on corporate crime. Number seven, create national charters for large corporations with the idea being that the charter can be revoked if you don't behave yourself. Number eight, restore our civil liberties. Number nine, use government procurement to spur innovation. Number 10, reinvest in public works. Number 11, reduce our bloated military budget. Very popular with the people. But what do Democrats and Republicans do best? They work with each other to raise the defense budget without a debate. There's no debate when it comes to raising the defense budget. And it's not even money that's spent effectively. Far from it. Number 12, re-engage with civic life. Number 13, invent new tools for reform. Number 14, organize congressional watchdog groups. Number 15, get Congress to have skin in the game. Number 16, enlist the enlightened super rich. And number 17, get back on the field, literally. So if you read each chapter, you see that, hey, there are things that people agree on across party lines, but we hear about gridlock in Washington, D.C. The biggest myth is gridlock in Washington, D.C. The only gridlock is when they're thinking about doing something for the people, like ending homelessness. You could end, you could end homelessness for $20 billion a year, which is usually less than the increase in the defense budget. 
you could just stop increasing the defense budget and you would have plenty of money to end homelessness. And it's cheaper to end homelessness than to deal with the consequences of homelessness. These are tremendous opportunities to work on issues that have broad bipartisan support and would create a strong, popular coalition vis-a-vis -vis the ruling elites who, by definition, have way more than their fair share of the power and they're not wielding their power responsibly. We supposedly got rid of monarchy 250 years ago, but that didn't happen. The monarchs just moved. They look different now. They're the people that have the money, but they're a small minority. If we could only get organized to oppose their agenda, and guess who's not interested? Republicans and Democrats are not interested in opposing the agenda of the elites. But if you campaign on popular issues, issues that have supermajority support, and then keep your promises, then you will win elections. It's deceptively simple. So we've been talking about how Democratic candidates can be different on issues that people care about. Let's talk about how they can be different on climate. Somebody needs to be different on climate because neither major party is taking meaningful action. So how can Democrats be meaningfully different in the climate realm? For one thing, you have to get the war machine under control. There is no future for our climate or for our planet if it's just endless war, endless war, endless war. The Pentagon is the world's biggest user of fossil fuels, for one thing. For another thing, part of the big, one of the biggest reasons for the Pentagon budget is to ensure that oil stays cheap. The Pentagon budget is a subsidy for oil. The shocking thing is how otherwise intelligent people believe Democrats want to do good, something good for the climate when what they show that they want is all war all the time. If the people were in charge, we wouldn't be having all this war. Another thing we need to do is get big ag under control. Our entire system of food and farming is governed by a few companies that have bought Congress. Agriculture such as it is, is a huge contributor to greenhouse gases. Partly the, because these nitrogen fertilizers take massive amounts of natural gas to make. And nitrogen fertilizers are not only completely unnecessary, they are toxic. A few big companies benefit from this, but the people don't benefit, the environment doesn't ben benefit, the water doesn't benefit, the climate doesn't benefit from heavy use of toxic nitrogen fertilizers. But we, we, we not only allow it, we subsidize it. Taxpayers are paying for the continued use of nitrogen fertilizers, which take a whole lot of fossil fuels to make, and then they cause a lot of nitrous oxide after they're used. Lastly, how Democrats could be different is to commit to returning government to the people. If you think that either party is for the people, of the people, by the people, we need to talk. It's demonstrably untrue. For one thing, the party has these superdelegates which are completely unaccountable to the people. 
and more than once in recent years, the party has actively conspired to deny the will of voters. This has been proven in courts of law. You don't hear it because of who owns the media, but that's an entirely different conversation. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a great day.